0: I'm going to jump into our our message for today. And uh, we're, we're kicking off a series called Spiritual Disciplines. And we're looking at Matthew chapter 6 throughout the next four weeks. And really um, what we want to do is continue on in the Sermon on the Mount. Now if you're not familiar with the Bible, the Sermon on the Mount is probably Jesus' longest extensive teaching that we have recorded. And so this is uh, where he teaches us how to live out... Uh, morality and ethics, but more than that, it's an issue of the heart. And so we're going to talk about um, spiritual disciplines. What is that? Why, why Why? implement them? It just sounds like a lot of hard work. I mean, you're, you've got your 2014 goals because like you're piling stuff on my plate, and that's really not what we're trying to do with the spiritual disciplines series. What we hope to do is to give you a, an overview of why. Uh, practicing certain disciplines in your life actually helps you to live out your identity and destiny in Christ. And when you do that, you actually begin to see the Kingdom come specifically because you're practicing these spiritual disciplines. All right. And so I want to start out by sharing a real quick story. When I was 24 I struggled intensely with my faith. I grew up in a Christian home and this was after college and I was intensely struggling with my faith, intellectually. So it got to the point where I was doubting God, doubting the Bible, doubting the existence of God. And um, the only thing I knew to do, I'll be honest with you, I, I mean, i read all these other books, but the only thing I really knew to do was this, just keep doing what I knew to do, alright? And it boiled down to these four things. Number one, I knew that if I was going to do this, that I was going to continue to discover the God of the Bible. I could have won any other route. I could have checked out the God of the Quran, I could have won the God of Hindus, I could have won any other. I just kept doing what I knew to do, and I kept studying the God of the Bible. Number two is this, I kept praying. And it was hard, because I felt like I was sending prayers out to this abyss. And even in those moments where my prayers felt shallow and hollow, I just kept doing what I knew to do. And the third thing I kept doing was this, I kept staying in community, right? And I felt very hypocritical, right? And only my wife and a couple of people (laughs) knew that I was struggling intensely with my faith. And I felt really hypocritical being around other Christians and not feeling genuine in my faith. But I kept doing what I knew to do, right? And then the last thing was that I just kept giving myself to things that I knew were important, right? Even though some of these things began unraveling, like, in my mind, like the necessity of church and the necessity of giving. Even though things were beginning to unravel my mind, I began thinking, I'm going to keep doing this. I kept doing what I knew to do. And the point of my illustration is this, is that this is what I discovered that there are times in your life when only discipline can carry you to places that your passions and your desires can't. There are times when only discipline can do it. Sometimes you don't feel like you have the willpower to do things, right? You don't have the willpower to do it. A lot of the times it's because you didn't have the disciplines to precede it, okay? So imagine me and Michael Phelps in a swimming match, all right? I can have all the willpower I want, But if I didn't have the disciplines to proceed it, I'd lose. I'd lose even if I had the disciplines. (laughs) So let me give you a definition for spiritual discipline. This is the definition that that we're going to work with a, a bit for today and then maybe over the next couple of weeks. But spiritual discipline is the work and the grace applied in partnership with the Holy Spirit to work out not to work for, but to work out identity and destiny in Christ. All right? Did you get that? You got it awesome. It's work in grace, in partnership with God's Spirit, to work out. Not to work for identity, but to work out our identity and destiny in Christ. It's spiritual and practical. It's intentional and <coughs> spirit-led. All right. It requires your work. It requires God's work. And so we're talking today in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 through 4, about the discipline of giving. And not just giving money, but also giving time. And so if you see giving as a spiritual discipline, right? if you see it as a discipline, it really is just a means to something greater. right? But if you see giving as the deal, then that's all you get. But if you see it as a discipline, it points back to a greater kingdom principle. And so let me give you my definition for uh, the spiritual discipline of giving. So if you were to give um, time and money to those in need as a spiritual discipline, it's the work and grace applied in partnership with the Holy Spirit to work out our identity and destiny in Christ as blessers and justice keepers in the kingdom of God. All right, let me break that down. You don't give... Just so you can meet needs. You give because it's intrinsically a part of your nature to be a blesser and a justice keeper in the kingdom of God. Is that? Do you see the difference there? One person gives because they're trying to meet a need. Another person gives because they're living out their destiny as a blesser and a justice keeper. Does that make sense? Are you guys tracking with me? Because if you don't track with me, we can't move forward. All right, let's move forward. So today uh, in the passage, we're going to pull out three points. And the first point is that God illustrates His basic plan for justice through giving. Giving illustrates God's basic plan for justice. Number two, giving exposes your delusion. And number three, giving uncovers heaven's great reward. So let's jump into the text. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 through 4. This is what Jesus says. Okay, I've got the NIV here. Let me read this just so we're, we're tracking with the same version. Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your heaven who is in heaven. Father, who is in heaven. <laughs> Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received the reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And God, we just ask that your Spirit would be here, so that we wouldn't misinterpret your words. And that God, we wouldn't just um, look at this as a Bible study, but actually something to do, something to receive. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. First point is that God illustrates His basic plan for justice through giving. Let me tell you uh, what that means. In, in chapter 6, verse 1, Jesus uses a phrase, beware of practicing your righteousness. And the Greek word for righteousness is vikayasune, and it's a translation of a Hebrew phrase, Alright. I'm not that smart, I just looked up the words. <laughs> but the idea of tzedakah is a huge theme in the Old Testament. Like, if you miss righteousness in the Old Testament, you didn't read the Bible right. The Old Testament theme of righteousness means this, that in the Old Testament, God is establishing the right ways of living throughout the world. It is God's shalom for the world. He uses the word righteousness to identify that. And number two, when you are doing the right things in accordance to God's nature and His character, that you yourself are accruing in practicing righteousness. All right. So, anybody oh, track me on my blog, Proverbs? Nobody. <laughs> the two of you? Oh, jeez. I'm gonna stop doing this. <laughs> if you read the book of Proverbs, the number one theme that it talks about is righteousness and wisdom. right? This is a big deal in the Old Testament. And so, when Jesus is talking about righteousness, he is importing into this not just be a good person. But we are establishing the very thing that God is coming to bring. His shalom, His peace to the world. So there's a passage in Deuteronomy chapter 24, 18 through 19. And I'll read it real quick. This is God saying to the Israelites. He says, you should remember that you were a slave in Egypt. And that the Lord your God redeemed you from there. And therefore I'm commanding you to do these things. When you reap your harvest in your field. And have forgotten sheaf in the field. You should not go back to get it. It should be for the alien, for the orphan, for the widow, in order that God, your Lord, may bless you in all the work of your hands. So, in this passage, giving to, to those in need is the lowest common denominator for social justice. Think about that. You don't need a campaign. You don't need an organization. Giving to a person in need in the Old Testament is the lowest common denominator for practicing social justice on this planet. All right? To not practice it means these three things. All right? To not do that means two things. That number one, you're neglecting God's grace in your life. And that's what he's saying. Remember when you were a slave in Egypt? Remember that. Remember my grace towards you. Right. And to not means also this, that you're not working toward God's basic redemption plan. So God is saying, I redeemed you, now you do the same thing for those who have need. But if we're not giving to those who have need, we're neither uh, working towards His plan, but the corollary is this, we're building into another kingdom. So here's the phrase, this may hurt a bit, but I think it's okay. The phrase says this, you may not worship money or time, but your money and time will show you what you truly worship. You may not worship money, but I bet you money will tell you where you worship. I looked up this uh, really interesting stat. It was from Global News. They wrote an article about Canadian giving to charities in 2011. The article came out uh, a couple of weeks ago. And uh, did you know that in our country, uh, in 2011, 23% gave to charitable organizations. Now that was down about 3% from previous years. So not bad. I mean, 23% of our, our country gave to charitable organizations. Do you know how much we gave? give 0.64% of our income to charitable organizations. Think about that. If you made $100,000 this past year, which I didn't, <laughs> it means that you give about $640 to charitable organizations. Right? And so it's not bad, but it's definitely not great. 0.64%, I'm not saying 6.4%, 0.64% of our income And this reminds me that I think the reason why it's hard for us to give because we're battling this ever-increasing beast of materialism and consumerism. It's a constant battle. For instance, if it's hard for you to give generously, but it's easy for you to buy clothes. I'm not knocking on any particular gender. But if it's hard for you to give generously, (laughs) but it's easy for you to go shopping for clothes. Perhaps clothes are your temple and your body is what you worship. If it's, if it's hard for you to give radically and generous to, to those that are in need, but it's difficult, but, but it's, it's so easy for you to buy the home or buy the car or save up for that, perhaps that those things are our temple and our reputation is our treasure. If, if you save, you're like, I'm not like those spenders. I'm like, I'm not like those spenders. I save, I save, and I save, and I save, and I save. If you find it difficult to give, but you're a great saver, then potentially your bank account is your temple and security is what you treasure. It's a matter of the heart, isn't it? Like I'm not here to like come through your pocketbook, like I can't do that. It's a matter of your heart, right? Our impulse to not generously give is a gauge that shows how little we're bought into the idea of God's justice and God's kingdom, Like the impulse to, to not be able to give is a gauge of showing how bought we... bought in we are into God's mission and purpose, Uh, The corollary of this, our discipline, our discipline to give is an intentional effort to correct our impulse and our idolatry to materials, okay? So when you give regularly, let me just speak, using ghetto terms, like, when you give money to people, intentionally, it's curbing that desire of materialism So some people will say, well, I mean, do you have to be a Christian? Do you have to be godly to give genuinely? No, no, of course. You don't have to be. But let's look at the deeper question of what's in the heart of the giver. So number two is this, giving exposes our delusion. When we give, it exposes our delusion. This is what Jesus says. He says, don't practice your righteousness before men to be seen. If we dig deeper into this statement, you'll see that it's a very practical and consistent way with the way that the human mind works. And think about social media, Instagram, Facebook, all right? This human psyche. I found this really uh, really neat quote. It says that research shows that we actually get a small rush of endorphins. It's the same brain chemicals that we enjoy after completing uh, intense exercise whenever we receive a new message, right? You know how that feels. The little red square that has five and that you wish it had 15. Right. <laughs> Talking about ourself triggers the reward center of our brains, making it even more compelling to narrate our daily activities. The more you talk about yourself, the happier you feel, the more you want to do it. You get addicted to that public uh, notification. You like to know that people think about you. Jesus is very practical. There's a very real practical reason why Jesus is admonishing us to not publicize are good acts, right? Uh, you can become very deluded in your thinking about yourself. Narcissism, megalomania. You know some of them. For those of you who don't, you are them. <laughs> <laughs> the flip side is that you can be very addicted to what people think about you, and you become codependent. Right? When you're addicted to excessive input into how you're doing, That's a pretty pretty good description of hell in some ways. You're excessively addicted to the way that people think about you. Jesus is saying, don't publicize your good works because it's a trap. You're just going to want to do it more. It'll never fill you. He makes it clear it's not a behavioral issue. It's a heart and identity issue. If If God is someone who needs to be pleased, if he's a boss if he needs to have you work hard in order for him to approve, then you, you have to, you have to work hard for his approval, right? And this is a delusionary view of God. It's not the God of the Bible. It's delusionary. At best, this is an exhausting way to live. So exhausting, right? So Jesus is saying, don't accrue righteousness by impressing people. Why? Human glorification is insufficient. The people that are praising you this week are crucifying you next week. Like, Ban, you guys are hot today. Next week, if you mess up, you're done. Human glorification is insufficient. Number two is that human praise and critique is never as accurate as you hear it. When people praise you or critique you, it's never be it's never as accurate as the way they hear. So Jesus is saying, don't stake your performance for something that doesn't last and that's not always accurate. He understands our human soul. Jesus knows what he's talking about. He then turns to this word hypocrite, right? And he uses this word. We use it kind of flippantly, but there's a very technical um, reason for this word. And in Jesus's day, a, a hypocrite was just an actor. Right? So there are two sources of hypocrisy. One is somebody who is sheerly evil. This is how we think about it. Or two, someone who is so spiritually depleted that they have to act like somebody else to gain approval. And Jesus turns to this idea of an actor, and he says that don't be like actors who have to gain the criticism and the approval of their audience. And this is it's built into the word. Again, I'm not as smart as I'm trying to sound, but... Hupacritus, all right, hypocrite, Hupacritus, Hupac means to be under, right? Am I right, doctor? Right. Hupac means, Mike's got teach PhD in theology. Hupac means to be under, Hupac means criticism. To be under criticism, an actor is someone who is performing, the audience gets to judge. They get to, they get to discern whether or not the way he's acting is worth applauding or booing. And Jesus is saying, why would you import this way of thinking into your life? It's so exhausting. Don't do it. It's a trap. It's a trap. Shakespeare writes this. All the world's a stage, and all the men and women merely players. But that's exhausting. Living as if you're under constant scrutiny in your life performance is indicative of spiritual poverty. But that's a good thing. It's a good thing when you realize that you're spiritually poor. For those of us who give and give and give and give and give, and there's some of you guys in here, that you give give and give and give and give and you never receive recognition, but you're the most prone to burnout. Spiritually poor people. For those of us who give and give for reputation, you realize that, man, reputation wasn't worth it. wasn't it satisfying. You're spiritually poor. And Jesus saying that's a good place to be. You know, Mother Teresa, um, uh, when she started her ministry in Calcutta, um, people didn't realize how dark her soul felt at times. You guys have been to Calcutta? Or you have, Rachel? And so, um, have you been to missionaries of church? No, okay. Uh, and she started an organization that, you know, is working out in 130 countries now. And uh, But nobody realized that the work that she was involved with, which is primarily taking care of children and orphans, how depleting it was. And she was so, like, her soul was aching. There was a book that came out a couple of years ago. Um, it was called Come Be My Light. And she would regularly confess her doubts and depression to her spiritual guide. And her spiritual guide or mentors um, One of them responded in the letter. He said this, Dear co-worker of Christ, and this is to Mother Teresa, you have said yes to Jesus. And He has taken you at your word. The word of God became poor. Your word to God became like Jesus. It's poor. And so this terrible emptiness you experience is poor. But God cannot fill what is full. He can only fill emptiness deep in poverty. And your yes is the beginning of being or becoming empty. It is not how much we really have to give, but how empty we are so that we can receive fully in our life and let Him live His life in us. It's good to get to a point when you realize that, oh, I can't give anymore. I'm spiritually broke. I have nothing left to give. I've given all that I can when that guilt feeling lingers too long, it's a sign that if you follow after God, that He's getting ready to break through. This brings us to our last point. That's this, that giving, giving uncovers Heaven's great reward. When you give, it actually uncovers Heaven's great reward. When you give to people, those in need, it actually begins to show you God's reward for you. Uh, for 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 the skeptics, like, are oh, like, why do you Christians need to give and get reward and all that stuff? You're, you're actually doing what Jesus told you not to do. And, and actually, no, Jesus is very clear. Jesus says there's a reward in store for you when you give. Uh, any, any project managers in here? Any, like, you manage people, manage projects? All right, I know you do over there. So have you ever given, 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 given to a project and, or given to a cause, uh, fed into... Pouring into somebody's life, and you just didn't get any, like, fruit or feedback from it. It's exhausting, isn't it? Right? As a matter of fact, I mean, you feel bitter. Like, I remember counseling this individual, this this married couple, and I I felt like my wife and I just spent, like, the better part of our year counseling this couple. And they ended up getting a divorce. And I just hated it. It It's like, what a waste of time. Right? She still ran off with the other guy. Ah, Right? And when Jesus is saying this, listen, this is what Jesus is saying. God won't do that to you. Verse 4. Your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. He will not allow you to exhaust yourself for kingdom purposes and not reward you. There's never a time when you give and he doesn't see. There's never a time when you help somebody. And He doesn't take notice. What kind of reward is God giving? The clues are in verse 4. It says this again. It says, Your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. So the clue number one is this, that God is Father, and there is a relationship in the reward. And number two is that He has seen everything that you've done in secret. He knows specifically how to reward you in a way where you realize it maybe nobody else realizes that the reward he has for you will be catered to you because he saw you do it in secret. He's not going to give you a blanket reward. It's not like a McDonald's gift certificate that he just gives it to everybody that shows up to the deal, right? (laughs) He's catering the reward to you, and it has to do with a relationship because God is Father. You see, your longings dictate what you long for. When, when the message of Jesus comes into your life, it changes what you long for. And when it changes what you long for, it changes your definition of reward. All right? And Jesus illustrates this in Matthew 25. It's the story of a guy, a master. He has some servants. He gives them money. He says, invest it. Two of them invest it, and they have great uh, returns on it. They come back to him. And, and, and this is what the master says to the, to the servants. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Here's the reward. Enter into the joy of your master. Like, great job. I'm not going to give you commission. But let's hang out. <laughs> now, to be honest with you, some of y'all were like, I'd rather have the commission than hang out with you. <laughs> Reward has to do with relationship. I'm not a Narnia geek or anything like that, but there was that uh, one scene in uh, Dawn Treader that I literally cried when I when uh, when I when I watched it, and it's with River of all people, it's with the little mouse. Uh Chief is like the little mouse. That he's like so heroic, so authentic. He's like so gung ho. Like we will get to Aslan's uh, country. My British came out <laughs> to Aslan's. There's my American to Aslan's country, and we will make it through. And he's so optimistic, and he's the best fighter. He's the smallest, but he's the best fighter. He's never, never negative, right? So at the end of Don Treader, uh, I haven't read the book. This is just a movie. I'm like, you know, I'm the one that reads Cliff Notes and like, you know, books, you know, books for dummies. I didn't read the book. But in the movie, so they get to the end. They're getting ready to enter into Aslan's country. This huge wall of water. You guys know what I'm talking about? How many of you guys have seen this movie? All right. Narnia geek, sorry. And so what happens is that <laughs> Lucy and Peter and Prince Caspian and Eustace and these guys are getting ready. And here's Aslan, the lion, right? And he, he, he represents the Christ figure. And they're all talking about, like, I don't know if I'm ready to go. Prince Caspian's like, fine, no, I'm supposed to be this king. And so River Chief just goes, "Ah, ah," he just clears his throat. I just love what he says. He says this to Aslan. He says, your eminence, ever since I can remember, I've dreamt of seeing your country. I've had many great adventures in this world, but nothing has dampened that yearning. And no, I am hardly worthy, but with your permission, I would lay down my sword for the joy of seeing your country with my own eyes. And Aslan says to him, my country was made for noble hearts like yours. When your longings change from the accolades of what people can give you, and you long for the presence of God in His kingdom, your concept of reward changes. It's easier to give generously and radically and with discipline when you realize that God has this kind of reward for you, you can never outgive what God has planned for you. Never. We'll wrap it up with this. Only the gospel, the story of Jesus, talks about a God who became poor for the sake of his enemies. Only the gospel talks about how God generously gave his only, only son for the sake of sinners. Only the Gospel talks about how God sees us and loves us in the midst of our materialism, in our idolatry, and He loves us still. Because with His love, He wants to melt our hearts to join His side. Only the Bible talks about people that can give out of adoration from God. They give because they're completely free from the love of money. Only the Gospel talks about how we can be a people that give without having to worry about where it goes. And only the gospel talks about how people can radically give because they know they can never outgive God. They can never outgive God. Um, I struggled about this because I didn't want to do what Jesus was talking about. But I wanted to give you some practical things in my life that my life and I we implement. And these are just a couple things out of a few that we we try to be practical, and it's the practical piece of, of, of the giving talk is that uh, I want to give you three things that we just do. Um, I'm not saying you do this, but I'm saying learn from what we're doing. If it works for you, great. If it doesn't, work, well, But these are just three things that we do uh, that's helpful to make sure that we maintain the discipline of giving to those who are in need. Number one is this, um, is that we, we purposefully budget and give 10% of our income to church and mission. Right? Uh, we've been doing this since we were 19, and now we're 25 plus 9. So we've been doing it for 15 years of our lives, and um, and um, like you can see how chubby my kids are. We never missed a meal. <laughs> I've never drove a Ferrari, but we never missed a meal. Um, we've always sponsored um, a child from a different country, and um, uh, we at one point we sponsored three. Financially we're right now, we're sponsoring one. We've been sponsoring for four years. And um, it's just neat to see the progression and what's going on in his life. And three is this, that we try not to flinch at emptying out our pockets for people on the street. So, you can come up with five excuses. I know. You can also just be practical and give. I was going to put a fourth one down. I used to pick up hitchhikers all the time. Notorious for this. I picked up a hooker one time. That's, that's from the sex relationship series. Um, because... I wanted to be generous with my schedule. Right? Good Samaritan story used to get me all the time. I'm in a rush to do my deal. And here's this dude straight on the side road. Right? So I picked up several, not all of them were good situations, you know, i.e. the hooker situation. Um, but being being kind with my, I didn't spend any time with her. Like, yeah. So I should clarify that. Strike that from the recording end. There. <laughs> Um, here's some practice for you uh, today, Uh, tonight before you sleep um, just reflect on what it means that God gave everything that he had for you Um, if you're not a believer I want to introduce this concept that God is not uh, an idea that you have to work towards his approval of you the idea of God in the Bible is that he gave everything so he could be in relationship with you, and reflect on what that means Second is this: categorize your spending habits. Before you start saying, "I'm gonna give this amount," go back. You know, look at your bank statement. Just categorize your your spending habits. What are you giving? Where is it going? Um, and oh, you know, and oh, number three oh. is this: categorize your calendar. Look at your calendar. What have you? Where did you spend time the last three months? And uh, is there any improvements you can make to it uh, to be more of a giving person with your time? I invite the man to come up, and I'm going to pray for us. We'll move into communion. I'm going to ask you guys to, to close your eyes. and uh, It's really want to challenge you in this moment. This is beyond emotions. This is just a chance for you to, to reflect. But the story of the Gospel is that God gave everything, His only Son, to pay the ransom for our sins. Out of his great generosity, he purchased your freedom from sin, from evil, so that you would be transferred from a life of addiction uh, to materialism, consumerism yourself, to now becoming a blesser and a justice keeper. The most easiest way is to be generous to people who are in need with both time and and if that's a struggle for you, there isn't any shame or guilt being projected from the stage at all this morning. But I want to pinpoint something: that if there's a tinge in your heart where you feel like there's conflict, admit that you are poor spiritually. And God is faithful to rush in to give to you what He's purchased for you. For those of us who hold on to reputation, go to Him. Go to the place of disgrace, to the place of failure, the place of embarrassment and shame, to the place of rejection, let down, mocking, where people spat, people cursed, people pitied, where people felt used, they were wasted, where plans were failed, and the followers were scattered everywhere. Go to Him there. Jesus is at the cross. At the cross is where you will find Him at the cross is where you will find your new reputation. God, our, our city has real needs. And I can't help but feel the burden and the weight that us in this room have a responsibility to be justice keepers in our city. God, free us from materialism and consumerism so that we can give radically and generously. God, help us to not give out a reputation, but give them because we do have reputation in your own what Jesus you have purchased and accomplished on our behalf. God, would you transform us as individuals and as a church. Holy Spirit, this is your work to do. This is your work to do. Would you transform us into becoming the justice keepers that we're supposed to be and give us a heart of generosity. God, I thank you for the story this week where I've heard many people sacrifice time and money to help a person in need. I just thinking that it's a part of us. That's a part of our DNA. And I pray that you would just bring that out more and more as we take next steps as our community. We're going to communion and, um, and offering. Um, and at Trinity Life, um, communion, the way that we practice it is this that if you know in your heart that you are following after Jesus, that His death is significant for you, and that His life now, that He's alive now, when you take communion, what you're doing is you're sharing the gospel with the people around you. Right? If you're uncertain, if you're in a place in your life where you just really don't know the truth of Jesus in your heart, it's okay to refrain from taking communion. Or if you're in a place of just, you know, a lot of doubt, it's okay to refrain yourself this morning. Take some time to just do business with God. Pray or you're saved. But if you're moving forward with God's mission to our city and as a community, I want to invite you to take communion with us. And, and Jesus says that, where Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, that the bread represents the body of Christ that was broken for us. And then the, the wine or the juice represents the blood that was poured for the sins of man. And every time we do it, we proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth. And also, as you come, I want to invite you to give, to give generously to your church. If you make Trinity Life your church, I want to invite you. Like, I'm not ashamed uh, to to invite you to give to our mission, because I know we're a good deal. We're not we're not the best. We're not we don't know how to love the poor uh, quite just as much as Salvation Army or some other churches. We don't feel the pressure to need to perform or compete. But if you're a part of Trinity Life, there's one. When you know this, we we work really hard to to follow God's voice so you can feel rest assured in giving. So God, would you bless our uh, elements here, bless our giving today, so that only you would be glorified um, through it. We pray these things in Jesus' name.